so that you can shine the light into the world in and through us in mercy and grace. So, Lord Jesus, today, just teach us, and I pray for each person who's represented here, that your household of worship would extend to their relationships, their homes, their friends, their place of work, that wherever they are at or wherever they go, that their hope and confidence wouldn't be in themselves, but in your work, in their lives, and that trust and faith that even though times are hard and we feel inadequate and we come up short, our adequacy is not in ourselves, but our adequacy is from you, and you are a good and faithful shepherd who finishes the work he begins. So thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. Could I please have my next slide, Hey V? You'll be pleased to know for the Golden State Warriors fans, I only have three slides today. So um, shorter is not always uh, better, but we, we aim for that, not to put stumbling blocks before you. So we want to visit... I'm going to jog your memory a little bit because what we're talking about and how this sort of got started, this series a little bit, was fathers would come to us and they would share that burden about having a worship in the home, having a home devotional with their wives or their children, okay? And the direction that we went and where we're going, and you can pray for us for our children's ministry, is to step back a little bit and say, okay, we're not here to put on a program where people drop their kids off. What I believe the Lord is calling us to after we heard a number of families and a number of fathers share this to say, okay, where is the Lord leading us as a church? And my conviction very clearly is in keeping with Ephesians chapter 4 that the Lord is calling us to equip families to carry the worship that's begun here into the home. Okay, And the aim of any ministry that we do here is a ministry to equip you and grow you in Christ so that you can take Christ with you wherever you go. That worship is not limited to the walls of this church on Sunday morning. What is worship? Well, in our generation and era, worship very much is limited to what we sing and do, and it's very much thought in our era as a form of self-expression. I come in and express my love for Jesus. That's worship. I do it in song, and then sometimes I get to listen to a sermon like I'm watching a movie, okay? That's kind of the culture of church, and we fall into that because that's the culture of the world as well. But when we come to God's word and what we just heard in Titus 3. Titus 3, he's saying to them at the very end of Titus, your witness and your worship is to extend into your workplace. The light of Christ working in you. He talks about the regeneration and of the spirit washed with the word, the salvation, that your life has been radically transformed. Well, that is going to have an impact and it's going to take your worship into your place of work, and people are going to see it, and it's going to be a witness, and it's going to produce a good work. Those who are lost sheep are going to gravitate towards you, and those who are enemies of the cross are going to attack you. That's going to happen, and blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. This is discipleship, and this idea of worship in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greek and Hebrew terms for it very frequently are terms that are used for work or service. The idea here, and it's on this slide, okay, is worship is about God's work and witness in your life. That's why without Christ's presence, there is no worship. 
We're just legalists, and we get it backwards. We figure, we got to clean up. we got to get the kids ready. They've got to sit quietly. We've got to come, okay, and be right so that we can be right with God. And that is satanic. Woo! Pastor Mark said that. I know I use that frequently, but Jesus did too. And the reason is we can never get ourselves good enough for God. You heard the sermon this morning. The testimony of God's word is Christ comes for us. And when he comes for us, he does a work we can't do in our hearts and lives. He changes our hearts and lives, and he transforms us inside out. And it's a miracle of a new birth. It's a miracle of new sight. We once were blind, now we see. We once walked in darkness, now we walk in the light. We once loved darkness, now we love the light. But like children, and Jesus, unless you become as a child, you can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need to grow and learn and walk in Christ. We need to grow up too. So we can't just stay, okay, we got saved. There are things that we have to put off and put on, and we need to grow in that direction. So worship, much of it, is about God's witness and his work through his presence in our lives. So on Sunday morning, and I hopefully want to make this connection to your home, whether you're single and living with roommates, whether you're living with unbelieving parents, or whether you're living with pagan rugrats, okay? Whoever you're with, I want to show that worship is essentially the same. It's about the presence of God coming in and saving you and sanctifying you and delivering you from your sins and drawing you to himself. And so on Sunday mornings when we get together, it's God's witness and work. So when we sing... For those of us who are believers, it's the Holy Spirit working in and through us as we sing those words. We are testifying and witnessing, Christ is risen. He is alive in me. I'm rejoicing because I'm no longer a child of the world. He saved me. I shouldn't be proud. I should be humble. And I'm celebrating his presence. And as we proclaim the word and we pray, that is God's Holy Spirit, his presence in us, doing a witness the gospel, what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's visibly on display and being proclaimed, okay? And it's his work that is happening in us. And worship actually changes us and molds us into the image of Christ. Why? Because it's God's work and witness in and through us. And part of that work and witness is extended in our service to the Lord. Because now we are prisoners of the Lord. We're no longer prisoners of the world. We don't have to say yes to sin. We don't have to say yes to certain demands that jumble up our priorities. We don't have to say yes that we've got to work 24-7 to have a huge house and a great car. We don't have to be at every party that's shown on Instagram. We don't have to say yes to those things. Why? Because we belong to Christ. We may feel pulled in that direction, but at the end of the day, we're free from that. Sunday morning is a gospel proclamation as we gather together and each person loves the Lord and we love one another and we speak the truth in love and that starts obviously through our prayer and our praise and in the pulpit but it extends out in our fellowship time as we go out. That is God's witness and work of the death and resurrection of Christ and the work of his Holy Spirit in each one of you. It changes us over time because eventually that work will be complete and we will be fully like Christ. Now that's going to happen when we die or Jesus comes again. But brothers and sisters, that's the same principle that exists with a group of roommates 
And that's the same principle that exists in a father trying to set up a devotional time or a worship time in his house. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there are a lot of competing interests. Yes, there are many challenges. But God promises that he's going to finish the work that he's begun. If he was willing to send his son to die on the cross and raise him from the dead, what is he not going to do? If he's a good father, as he says, he will withhold no good gift. It means he's going to get you there. And so we look in the home and we say, look, worship in the home is the same. It's about God's witness and his work in and through you. And even if you have unbelieving parents or you have an unbelieving spouse or you have unbelieving children, which all of us start out that way. All our children, I hate to say it, they all start out, I think, for the most part, 99.9% are probably unbelievers from birth, okay? We get, are given this amazing opportunity and worship begins with God's presence in our home. And if God is not a liar, he's saying, in your home, this is the hope of glory. The hope of God's infinite goodness. Christ in you. That's the presence. That presence is there when you wake up. That presence is there when you go to bed. That presence is there. And what you do, in all that you do, is you walk in the light and you walk with Christ, your life is a demonstration of God's witness and God's work in and through you to your children, to your spouse, and then as you go to work, it's the same. Now, what specifically does that look like? That's nice, Pastor Mark. That sounds very pie in the sky. It sounds wonderful. But what does that specifically look like? Well, that's why the Apostle Paul gave us 1 Timothy and Titus. Jesus is showing us very specifically the blueprint of what that looks like. And the real sweet thing is we can take this and say, okay, this is what I have to do. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. But I don't think that's entirely correct. My conviction as I read 1 Timothy and Titus, and just about every year I've been in ministry here before the fall starts, I read through 1 and 2 Timothy over and over again because I want to be reminded of what the Lord is calling us for the church. My conviction is Jesus has given, this, given us this not only to show us what our worship is to look like, He's giving it to show us what he's going to do in the lives of his disciples. He's going to do this, and we've got a choice. We can go and resist it, and we can go kicking and screaming because there are other things that we want to do, or we can yield and submit to the Spirit and let him have his work in us completed, and this is what we're going to look like. And I do believe, and Paul makes that clear, I'm pretty sure, in 2 Timothy, that many times the trials and challenges in our life, God is bringing those things into our lives to get us to that place and to address those areas where there may be some resistance or there may be blindness so that we see what he is actually doing in our lives. Can I have my next slide, please? Okay. This is more or less a summary, okay, of First Timothy and Titus. And this is the gospel in worship in your life and mine. This is God's blueprint 
of where he's taking us for our life on this earth. And if we're a child of God, this is what our worship on Sunday is going to look like. But if we're a child of God and we're walking with Christ, this is where he's going to bring our lives and the work that he is going to finish in our homes and our place of work and in the world so that we are a gospel witness. It is a life that is driven by his grace, not our works. Okay? This is what his household looks like. And it's a life, and it's a church, and it's a family, and it's a household where we're not the Lord, and we're not the king, and it doesn't revolve around our desires and preferences. Christ is the Lord, he is the life, and he is the love of this house. Now we can resist that, and many are the afflictions and the sorrows of those who go after other gods. Okay? And we'll go through trials, and we'll go through challenges, but the Lord is going to bring us to this place if we indeed are his children, like the prodigal son, we're going to wake up and say, wow, my dad really did love me. And I'm sitting here in a pile of stink. My life would be better if I was a servant in my father's home. Okay? God's grace opens our eyes and shows us what great sinners we are and how he's loved us and saved us through the death and resurrection of his son. And he brings us home. And it's his grace, his unmerited favor that we don't deserve that does that in our lives. And it's his grace, brothers and sisters, that doesn't bring us into his household. It brings us home. It brings us to glory. Well, what does that journey, that pilgrim's progress look like? Where does Jesus get us? If indeed he is Lord, it's a life that is built around the gospel where our lives begin to reflect the gospel. This is what Titus, Paul's writing Titus in chapter 3, saying, look, this is what a gospel life looks like. You're not a contentious person. You're not a divisive person. You're not fighting against any other authority that's over you. Your trust is entirely in Christ. He's your king, and he's going to carry you through, even on a hard day. It's going to be a life that is going to be built around his word and prayer. Why? Because this is where Christ shines his light and love into our life. This is where we have the opportunity until he comes again, where his spirit is going to demonstrate and show us his goodness and his grace. Just like in the sermon that you heard this morning, where it's like, wow, how beautiful and how awesome is Christ and how horrific are these legalists? Well, Christ is shining through into our lives through that. And similarly, your daily life at home is going to be no different. Christ is going to make himself known to you and how much he loves you and his plans for you. How is he going to do that? He's going to do it by his spirit, through his word, and through prayer. So that's why, brothers and sisters, when the ministry of the word and prayer comes last and programs come first in a church, and when we gather together as leaders and our biggest burden is, what do we need to do here? What do we need to do here? Budget here. Not that those things aren't important. And we just sort of finish up with a prayer at the end. We've got it backwards. The power that changed the world is the power of the cross. The power that created a church out of 12 disciples slash apostles, a number who were fishermen and blue-collar workers and uneducated, 
and one day would topple the Roman Empire. That's the power of the cross. It's not the power of our education or abilities. It's God working through inadequate and insufficient and weak and broken vessels to demonstrate that the greatness and goodness is of him, not of us. That's grace. And he does so consistently, brothers and sisters, over the centuries. It's always through the ministry of the word and prayer. That was Acts 6, where the apostles get together and say, okay, we've got to take care of people. We've got to feed them. But let's not let this be a distraction. That's important, but it's not more important than the ministry of the word and prayer. Now, in our homes, when we talk about, and I speak to the dads, okay, about a home worship, part of the challenge is we're spinning our wheels so quickly to worry about how best to take care of our families. Are we earning enough money? Have we put enough in our 401k in the college plan? Are we making sure we've got the summer vacation planned? Are we making sure that they have music school? Are we making sure that they're getting to school? All of these different things. Those are not wrong. But brothers and sisters, when that becomes our hope, that becomes our idol. And Jesus is going to break our hearts over that if we belong to him. He's going to do it sooner or he's going to do it later. To say, look, the, what saved you and transformed you is the good news of my death and resurrection. So why are you selling your kids and your family directly or indirectly on a different gospel? The gospel of doing well at school. The gospel of sitting up straight in church. I don't care if your kids scream in church. I know parents come in and you know, they more to manage. It's like, look. The idea here is that as God's spirit works and his witness is proclaimed through the power of his spirit, whether they understand or not, they're coming face to face with Christ. And that is going to have an impact in their lives years from now when God chooses to do whatever he's going to do. And that's why the greatest thing for worship in our homes as fathers is, are we walking in the spirit? Are we allowing God to do a work in our lives? Are our lives built around the ministry of the word and prayer? Are we walking with Christ? If we've gone for a week and we haven't cracked our Bibles open or we haven't prayed or we haven't prayed for our families, what are our families going to get? I don't care how good the worship you do is at home, how great the curriculum is, how great your singing voice is, your kids are going to know by your example. They're going to know. There is a light and there is a love and there is a life that comes when Christ is present that children and Gentiles and unbelievers are able to see. So worship, brothers and sisters, and we've said this over and over again, it begins with Christ and us. And it will never be separate from the ministry of the word and prayer because that's where the spirit is always going to bring you. If you're not there, it's a different spirit that's leading you. Where does that extend to in our lives when the Holy Spirit is working? The Holy Spirit isn't going to stop at your devotional time. He's going to bring you to a place where your doctrine and your duty reflect the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And if he has to bring trials into your life and bring challenges and make things a little uncomfortable, that's what he's going to do to get your attention. To say, hey, head knowledge is not enough. You need to be obedient to Christ if you love him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the home gets built around the doctrine and the duty of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The two are connected. They're never separate. And by extension, what will happen is that life in that home that is filled with Christ, when Christ is present in a home, in and through you, 
a life that is maturing in Christ and becoming more Christ-like, that includes Christ-like service. Ephesians chapter 4, right? We're equipping the saints for the work of ministry so that they can grow into maturity and become like Christ. As that is happening in our lives and the Holy Spirit is doing that within the household of God, our service, the direction of home, what we do, where we invest, what we spend our time in globally, not just one time a week, is really going to be geared towards the gospel. It's geared towards serving Christ and sharing Christ with others. That's the summation of our life. That's what we're here. That's what we're about and to build up the saints. Through that process, anyone who's not a believer who comes into our life or anybody who's growing, they're going to be exposed to a life that is going to bring either affirmation or rebuke. Like Jesus in his life with his disciples, his life and his ministry either affirmed what they were doing. Yes, this is of God. Matthew 16, Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, son, Barjona, because what you've just said, what you've just confessed, it didn't come from your brain, it came from above. He affirms what is good. And then what does he do later when Peter says, don't go to the cross? What does he say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? He rebukes him. There's an affirmation and a rebuke. Jesus, in love for his children, is always going to affirm what celebrates his life and love, and he's always going to rebuke what takes us away from him. That's a good parent, okay? When we go out with our children, we always say, don't go anywhere where we can't see you or you can't see us, okay? And it'll happen, and we'll say, hey, we couldn't see you. How do we know whether you're going to run across the street? How do we know that a stranger's not going to pick you up? We always want you to be in a place where we can see you and you can see us. Okay, and hopefully they'll get to the point where they are able to discern what is dangerous and not dangerous on their own, what is going to separate them from what's good or what's going to drag them into what's bad. That's hopefully where we go with that. But there's a necessity for affirmation and rebuke. It's not all, you're the greatest, Ethan. You're the greatest, Joshua. You're the best person. Believe in yourself. You're awesome. No. There's an affirmation of what is consistent with the gospel and a rebuke of what is not consistent with the gospel. Why? Okay, I'm going to lay this out on you. Everything in this world, your marriage, your relationships, what you do, your work, it's either an affirmation of the gospel or it's contrary to the gospel. It's going to be one or the other. You going into the workplace, you're either going to go in as someone who's been called by Christ to be a witness in that place, or you're going in to serve yourself and your bank account. It's one or the other. One of them, they both look the same on the outside. One of them is going to take you closer to Jesus, and you're going to continue to walk with him and be a light, and the other one is going to take you further and further and further and further away. And God in his love, through the ministry of the word and prayer, and through the work of his spirit, he's going to either affirm one, hey, this is of the gospel, or he's going to rebuke the other. This is going to take you away. And anything that is not of the gospel, what God has done to save sinners through the death and resurrection of his son, anything that's not of the gospel, I got news for you. 
It's going to separate you from the Lord. It's going to separate you from your roommates. It's going to separate you from your family members, your beloved, the people in the church, and it's going to take you further and further and further away from the Lord. That's it, plain and simple. Jesus said as much, okay? So where does that bring us in our home worship? I'm going to show you what Jesus did to show you that it's not rocket science, and hopefully you can do this in your home. How did Jesus minister to the disciples, and how did he shepherd them, and how did they live a life of worship? He proclaimed God's word. He spent time with them. He prayed for them, and he prayed with them, and he took them with him as he served the Lord. That's it. So dads, it's not rocket science. What makes it hard is our hearts are pulled in other directions and our hearts are distracted. What makes it hard is our flesh pulls against it and we would rather be doing A, B, C, D, and E rather than here. But as we grow in the Lord and our greatest joy and delight is to be in his word and prayer and to be with Christ and to serve him, okay, we're going to share that with our children every minute and every moment. We're going to walk them through the Word of God like Jesus walked his disciples. And we're going to pray with them, and they're going to see us pray. And they're going to see the power of prayer in our life. And we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to bring them along with us, and they're going to witness what a gospel life is like and how it's different from the world. I don't know whether our sons are saved or not, they certainly have begun to notice at soccer practice that there's a big difference between their time with their friends at church and their time with the rest of the world. We've had one of our sons come and say, you know, I, I just kind of prefer being with our church friends because I don't have to worry about things. Because right now there's so much inappropriate stuff that's happening in the schoolyard and also in sports. Okay, they are already able to distinguish by their time with you, not just us, that there is something different, even though they might not be able to articulate it, they understand that there's something pure and safe and different, at least for this moment, than what's going on in all the whistles and bells and birthday parties and distractions that are going on out there. Now there's still a competition for their heart and for their soul. So following that example, what we do in the Chen family, okay, is all these books that we've given out to you, we've used ourselves, okay? This is one of them, the Bible storybook. We gave another gospel book. And every morning before the kids go to school for five minutes, we read one story. And we've gone from the beginning of the book to the end, from Genesis to Revelation in each of these books. What's our hope and desire our hope and desire is it gives us an opportunity to share what Christ has done in Julie's life and my life. And that they might know the character of God. That the story that they're living in is the story that God created. But they're going to have a choice at a later date. Am I going to stay with the story that God has created, that God is our creator, or am I going to step into the Marvel universe? Right? And so we do that every morning, five days a week. One day a week, and I'm not saying our family's perfect. I just want to show you a practical way in which maybe you can do this. Okay? One day a week, and I do this on Wednesday afternoons, because my Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays are work for me. So Wednesday afternoon, we spend a half hour. It used to be a lot longer, and 
People told me I need to learn how to pray like Pastor James, much shorter. But we do a half hour, and we call it Bible school, and we sing a hymn, which shows them theology. Typically, we'll start with holy, 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 or God is so good. And we go through a portion of scripture sequentially, and right now we're reading through the book of Genesis for the narrative. And when we talk about it, and we also use that as an opportunity to talk about what's going on in school, what have been some of the challenges on the soccer field? What have been some of the disappointments that have happened in church or in relationships? And to draw that connection that God's word actually speaks to the lives they're living. 30 minutes. At the very end of it, I take prayer requests. Ethan, is there something you need help from God with? Joshua, is there something you need help with God with? What can we thank him for? Very simply, because I'm showing them what I do in my life is when I have a need, I've got to go to God. And when something good is in my life, I want to thank him. So I'm modeling for them, okay? And I'm doing, I hope, for them what Jesus did with the disciples. When we have service activities or there are things to do, if I can, I will try and take them with us. Or I will make it clear to them, hey, like for example today, we didn't go for soccer photos today, okay? There's soccer photos. And the soccer coach whose dad was a pastor, he kind of gets it and they ask and they want us to be there. But in advance, I say to my kids, look, there are some things you're going to miss out on. I'm sorry. It is going to be hard for you. But you understand coming to this diagram, who's the head of our household? I'll ask them this. Well, you are? Well, no, I'm not. Christ is our king. We serve him. The only reason we're here together, your dad was single forever, is because he brought mom into his life and he brought the two of us together and he gave us you as our gospel gifts. You are a gospel gift to us. If Christ was not our king, we would have absolutely nothing and you wouldn't be here. So we make that clear to them. We also make it clear to them everything that we have in this house as a God family a lot of it the church has given us, it's entirely a gift from the Lord. So we would have nothing. So I know there's a sacrifice in not being with your friends to be there for the soccer photo, but Sunday's whose day? It's the Lord's day. So this is where we need to be. And Ethan and Josh, if you're willing to trust the Lord, one day he's going to make it right. And you'll see, what does it cost a man if he gains the world but loses his soul? So those are teaching opportunities that we have, Okay. This is our last slide, and all the warrior fans will rejoice. What are we trying to do with this worship? I'm not trying to show my kids how to play church or how to become better people, because I can't do that. I am not their savior. Only Jesus can do that. I am simply, and it's my desire, I want to share with them all the good things that Christ has done for me. I want them to walk in a way in which they don't fall into the pitfalls that I did, a lot of it which was respectable worldliness. It wasn't shameful, it was very public, and it was all respectable. You know, the great cars, the goofy shoes, all of those different things, okay, that were a distraction in my heart from enjoying Christ to the fullest and sharing him to a world that desperately needs it to do what he created us to be. And so as I walk through, all I'm trying to do is to be faithful with what Christ has called me. What has Christ called me to do? He's called me to walk in the spirit. He's called me to be a witness that he has risen from the grave 
And he's called me to do his work, which is to share his gospel, especially to those he's put in my life. How am I supposed to do that, Jesus? Well, it's through his word and through prayer. He's given me everything I need. I don't have to be a great communicator. I don't have to be brilliant. I don't have to be smart. All I need is a children's Bible, his word, and a willingness to pray for my children. And as that happens, that is going to lead to a place where there are going to be times where there's going to be affirmation and rebuke. And we do this. Where we speak to our children, and you see I've got it listed there about their thoughts, their desires, their feelings, and their choices. So there will be a conflict in the Chin home. I know it's hard to believe, but there will be a conflict in the Chin home and two brothers will not be getting along with one another. And we can just discipline them and say that's bad. And typically where discipline happens and correction, more often than not, we correct when it becomes inconvenient for us. Not infrequently, it's selfish correction. And the same thing happens in the church. We don't really come to someone and say, this is bad for you until it becomes bad for me conflict or it gets ugly or whatever. But Christ calls us in love to continually be affirming and rebuking and to do so gently and graciously. To be able to come in and say to someone, okay, you said these things to your brother. Why did you do that? Well, I don't know. He was, he was, he was bothering me. He did A, B, C, D, and E. Okay. What were you thinking when you did that? Well, I wasn't thinking. I just did it. What did you want when you said those words or you did what you did? I don't know. But then we're able to go back to God's word. And we're able to go back to the story of Cain and Abel. Why did Cain kill his brother? Well, he was jealous. And he also didn't listen to the Lord who said, sin is waiting to have mastery over you, but you need to be the master over it. And because we've laid that foundation of reading God's words and said, this is God's word, this is God's character, there is no word that's better than this, and that's our reference point in our home because Christ is our king. We have something to go back and say, okay, look, it's not just what you did that was bad, but it was a heart and a desire that's contrary to the gospel. Was it loving? Was it helping your sibling or was it harming? Well, it wasn't helping. Okay. Was it lifting up? Was it encouraging? Is this consistent with the character of a God who gave his son to die on the cross for us so that we might be forgiven? Same things come up when there's a hard time forgiving someone who's done something pretty terrible in one of their sports or at school. And we were able to come back because we've walked through Easter and say, okay, what did God do for our family? He forgave us. Were we perfect? No, we weren't. So when you continue to be angry with the person at school, even if they haven't asked for forgiveness, are you being like Christ? No. You're being like the world. And so we walk through these things to show them, to affirm and rebuke, this is of the Lord and this is contrary to the Lord. And guess what? Husbands and wives need to do the same thing for one another because there's going to be a time where you come home from work and you're tired and you're beat up and your coworkers have treated you terribly and your heart is filled with discouragement and doubt and discontent and that's what comes out. And if it stays there, brothers and sisters, it's going to poison your home. And praise God we have godly spouses who are not in the flesh by God's grace and they're in the spirit and they could say, yeah, 
look, I understand you're angry. I understand you're in a dark place. But what's God's provision for you? You're a child of God. And what's the provision of the cross? Can we pray about this? And can we pray for your boss? And can we pray for your coworkers? That's a very gentle way like Jesus where you're affirming what's good and you're rebuking what's not, which is to stay in a place of bitterness and discontent that's going to divide. But I'm going to work backwards and close it out here, okay? If we're not praying and we're not in the word and we're not walking with Christ, there is going to be no reference point to the people we minister to. It's going to be about us and do what's right for you. It starts with us walking with Christ. And as we walk with Christ, Jesus gives us incredible opportunities with our roommates, with our coworkers, and with our spouses and with the children in our life to point them to Jesus. And then we trust that we are not the saviors he is. And in his time and his way, just like the blind man we heard about, maybe our children will be 20, maybe they will be 30. Maybe we'll have co-workers who we've worked with for 10 or 20 years. But if over that period of time, the word of God has been faithfully preached to them, they have been prayed for, they have been affirmed, this is of the gospel, and they have been rebuked. You know what? This is completely contrary to the gospel. The Holy Spirit works in and through servants who are submitted and obedient. And he will use you as a vessel, not that you're saving that person, but he will use you to bring faith and regeneration and salvation to those who are around you. Now that's his choice. He's going to choose. Not all our children are going to grow up and be saved. That's God's decision. But what we're called to do is to be a faithful witness to the work of the Spirit in our lives. And you can do it in a structured way. And that's our intent and hope in the days to come. Um, I'm just going to encourage you to make it a consistent basis, whether you're with roommates or you have a family, to be in the Word on a regular basis, to pray together on a regular basis, but also to take that extra step to be bold, to love the people in your home, to be willing to accept and receive affirmation and rebuke to realize it's God's love when a brother or sister comes along and says, I'm just concerned about you. You seemed a little bit dark. Have you had a chance to spend time with Christ or be in the word? Can I pray for you? Is it good for you to stay in this place on a consistent basis? And if they have a heart to receive, we rejoice. And if they have a heart that doesn't want to listen, then we've been faithful and we continue to pray for them. And we will see that through that worship in and through you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the Lord will use you as an instrument of his redemption to redeem children, spouses, co-workers, and others who are out there. Let's take a few minutes. We're done. Um, if we could spend like break up into groups of maybe four or five people and just take a few moments just to talk about some of these things and maybe have a word of prayer and I'll close you at 1.30 and we'll tie up our time.